Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. You know that I tend to like to write my sermons uh, in public. I'll go to somewhere like Bandit or Green Bench or Intermezzo or Flatbread and Butter, somewhere, and I will go and prepare my sermon there, which is great and I enjoy it. That's great. But one of the things that it causes is there's not too many people sitting around at Bandit Coffee or Green Bench Brewing with a large stack of Bible commentaries and a computer. And so it oftentimes draws some stares, the kind of stares that, uh, that other people, maybe myself included, give to the guy that rides the penny farthing bike down Central Avenue. You guys know what a penny farthing bike is? It's like the one with the giant wheel, like in the front, and then the little itty bitty, like tiny wheel in the back. There's a dude who rides one of those up and down Central. And every time you see him, you're like, what's up, guy? Nice of you to join us in 2022 with your 1888 bike. Thank you. That same look that, we get, that I give that guy gets given to me. And, and every now and then, someone will even approach me and you know, kind of ask me, what's, what, what's going on? What are you doing here? And about half the time, it's Christians. And the other half of the time is where it's a more interesting conversation, where it's somebody who's not a Christian, and they're like, oh, so you're like, like a pastor or something. And I'm like, yeah, or something. <laughs> And they start to ask me these questions. And inevitably, their questions are always this. The question that I always get asked is some variation of, so you really believe that God made an axe head float in the water? Which is like this obscure story from, uh, from uh, the life of Elijah, right? Or they'll ask me, so you really think the flood happened? Like, really, really? They'll ask me some obscure Old Testament story that they probably learned in the church that they grew up in in Cincinnati, or North Tampa, or where everyone else that comes to St. Petersburg and moves here is from. Half the time, it's a story that was featured on VeggieTales. And they want to know if I really believe this obscure story from the Old Testament. And my response is often, I do, but wait till you tell you what I think about this Jewish rabbi who was killed by the Romans. I believe something really crazy about that guy. I believe that he rose from the dead. You know, it's funny when people think about what we as Christians believe, what they think are the wildest things that we believe are Joshua having the sun stand still, which is interesting and neat. But we believe as Christians that Jesus physically rose from the dead. That's wild. I mean, that, that is not something, you know, that happens. And so when we say that, we're really confessing what we as the church Belief. I mean, even the church in Corinth had difficulty believing in the resurrection of Jesus. The entire chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is dedicated to Paul going, no guys, but for real, Jesus rose from the dead. And one of the things that happens to those of us who are Christians is we get a little bored with this. I mean, look, it's Easter Sunday. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you came with a family or friend, or you've been here forever, you kind of know what I'm going to talk about here in a second. You know where this is going. I'm going to talk about Jesus rising from the dead. It's what you do in a Christian church on Easter. It's what's expected. And for those of us who are Christians, 
let's be honest, the resurrection for many of us has become just a tick above boring. Yeah, 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 it's wild. He rose from the dead. I've heard it before. I mean, no, 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 it's like life-changing history. Everything has changed because of this. Yeah, I know. But we all just sort of assume it happened. It has sort of become for many of us the like white noise of our faith. We just kind of accept it and move on. This happened to me the other day. My wife was complaining about ringing in her ears. And I said, oh, your, your ears don't always ring? And she's like, no, how do you live like this? I was like, I don't know. I went to many concerts when I was younger. It just just the state of being. And many of, for many of us, that's the way the resurrection works for us. It's just sort of this ringing in our ears, this undercurrent. We believe it. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. But Paul has given to us this rich and beautiful picture of what the resurrection means for us. And what he's trying to tell us is that the resurrection has huge implications that help us frame our present life. It's not just something that happened in the past, though it did. It's not just something that changes the future, though it did. But rather, it's something that helps us frame what our lives right now should be about. This morning, as we look at the very nature of our resurrection because of Jesus, I want those of you who are here who are Christians to ask God to show you how the resurrection of Jesus and our coming resurrection deeply forms us, how it deeply informs the daily struggles that we go through, and how it gives us hope for what God is doing now and what we will be in the future. So if you are able, I'd invite you to please stand as I read God's word. I'm going to be reading verses 35 to 49 of 1 Corinthians 15. It'll be on the screen behind me, and you're welcome to follow along if you have a Bible. Paul says this, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is a glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is written, uh, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also is a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was formed from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. 
As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. The church of Corinth is not exactly a role model of churches. If you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, they have all sorts of problems, problems that you probably shouldn't have your even middle schoolers go traipsing through the Bible and reading. It gets wild. And one of the problems that the church of Corinth had was that they were having trouble believing in the resurrection. They had trouble believing that anybody could be raised, much less Jesus. And so Paul addresses that earlier in chapter 15, but then he comes to these new set of questions. What's the physical nature of the resurrection like? Paul, if this is true, what could it possibly mean? What sort of power is going to make this happen? And what sort of bodies are we talking about here? That's their question. They're confused about a few things. First of all, they're good Greeks. Corinth is in Greek, for those of you uh, who don't love to pour over old maps. Uh, And not only is Corinth in Greece, but that was a place where people were taught. And one of the things that every good Greek was taught was that our bodies are bad and our souls are good. So whatever view of the afterlife we have, it's got to be without a body. And then Paul comes around and Paul says, no, 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 actually heaven is a physical place where you'll actually have a body. And all of a sudden, they're like, wait, I thought we were just going to be floating souls. He's like, nope, not that. And they're like, okay, 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 okay. I'll follow you there, Paul. But what sort of bodies are we talking about? Is he just going to like make alive whatever the, whatever's left of the person? So are we talking about zombies here, Paul? Are we talking about half decomposed things? And Paul, again, addresses both of those questions. And Paul is kind of... Paul knows what every teacher in the world knows is that there are actually some bad questions. (laughs) When the teacher told you there are no bad questions, they were being very kind to you. But there are some questions that are bad questions. And Paul sort of says that about this. He says, you foolish people, what, what what are you doing? What are we doing here? And so he goes on to sort of prove his point by using three different analogies from nature. The first analogy he uses is this idea of seeds are not the same thing as plants. This this may seem like a fairly obvious point. A seed is not the same thing as a plant. An acorn is not an oak tree. It might be one day, but not yet. An avocado is not an avocado tree. But it may be. Seeds and the things that grow out of the seeds are, in a way, different things. One of the things that happened to Angie and I when we moved to St. Petersburg years ago is we had these two trees in our backyard that we thought were these kind of strange broadleaf oaks. They were huge. They were as big as oak trees, looked about the same at the trunk, except their leaves were a lot bigger. And then the first summer that we lived there, uh, we had to begin to dodge these giant falling avocados. They were Florida avocado trees. And they were dropping avocados on us at an alarming rate. Um, If it's summertime and you want some Florida avocados, let us know. Um, We have plenty. But when we looked at those things, we had no idea that this sort of tree was an avocado tree. The seeds 
looked different than an oak tree, but then the trees looked the same. There is continuity and discontinuity. There's continuity and transformation between the seed and what it will become. When you look at an acorn, you know it's an oak tree. You know what's going on there. But in another way, it's amazing that this little seed, this little seed that could fit in the palm of your hand, but could become this beautiful shade oak that covers your whole yard. And then you look at the way that it's wild, that a coconut, which is about the size of your head, becomes this palm tree that is so tall and skinny, completely different from an oak. The seed shows us the transformation that is possible when something is buried into the ground. Paul uses that point to show us that what we bury into the ground, what our bodies are like now is a shadow of what they will be in the resurrection. Just like an acorn doesn't hold a candle to the beauty and majesty of a shady oak, what we are now does not hold a candle to what we will be. And so the Corinthians, he anticipates their question. Well, then how's God going to do that? How's that going to work itself out? And so his second point is, well, God doesn't have a research and design problem, right? God has already made different sorts of things. A cow is not a fish. An acorn is not a cucumber. They're all different things. And God has made each one of them, both animal and plant life, unique. And Paul says, if God can make all of these different sorts of flesh, animal flesh and plant and vegetation, if he can do all of this, can't he do even more in his recreation of us? He can transform us into something new that has a beautiful continuity with what has come before it. You know, it's interesting with, with all the growth in St. Pete, uh, no matter how long you've been here, you have a story of something that doesn't look the way it used to. And, and for me, the two places where like I see that the most in my mind is the 600 and 800 block of Central Avenue. And it's because when I was, when I was a young man, more years ago than I want to tell you about, I used to go to a lot of concerts at the State Theater in the 600 block of Central Avenue. I mean, a lot, a lot. And we would always park on the 800 block because it was always easy to find parking there because all the 800 block of Central was was an old abandoned bank building and a field. That was it. The entire north side of Central Avenue was a dirt lot and an abandoned bank. Now think if you can right now, go on the Google Maps of your mind and go to the 800 block now. It's this place called Camden Central. It's that enormous 13-story white um, apartment complex. It's got the burger fi in the bottom of it. It's got that big pool deck that like you're like walking down Central and looking into it. That was a dirt lot. But here's what's interesting. If you come to the end, if you come to the MLK side of that uh, building, you can actually still see where they kept the bank building there. The shell and facade of the old bank building was kept as they made it. It's kind of the same, but it's been entirely transformed. There is continuity and there is transformation. Beloved, that's what the resurrection is all about. It is about continuity and transformation. Just like God uses a seed to become this beautiful plant. And what he's saying is the thing to come 
is even more glorious because God can create things with varying degrees of glory. He illustrates this by pointing out the sun, moon, and stars are not all as bright and glorious as one another. The sun has its brightness, the moon has its brightness, and every star has its own set. God can create things with different levels of glory. And what he's telling you is this life You are made in the image of God, but the life to come will be even more. There is even more. The scars of your body and soul that you carry from your mistakes and the things that have been done to you, those things aren't forever. Those things are not the last word. The healing and transformation of the resurrection will change all of that. I heard a few weeks ago a quote Uh, by my favorite uh, podcaster, Roman Mars. And the quote was, all will be well in the end. And if all is not well, then it's not the end. I thought that was like a pretty good quote, you know? I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I kind of started digging and I was like, where did that quote come from? And he traced it back to a film critic named Mark, and I can't make this last name up, Kermode. And Mark Kermode, the film critic, said that. But as I started Googling the phrase, I realized that it was itself ripped off from somebody else. The original quote was this, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Pretty good quote. And so I started to try to find the source of that one. And that came from a guy named John Lennon, who was a member of a British band called the Beatles. (laughs) Now, I don't uh, usually get uh, my theology from John Lennon. You can imagine how bad that would be. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Kind of. (laughs) But in this case, he is absolutely right. He is absolutely right. That in the end, all will be well. Our hope is in the future. Our bodies in this present state are corrupted. They are marked and marred by sin. We are filled with spiritual and physical weakness. And it plays out in the struggles that each one of us faces in our lives, both the struggles of our body and the struggles of our physical life. We are aging and decaying. My heart keeps saying, stay young. My lower back seems to disagree. (laughs) Cancer, tooth pain, our sinful habits, all of this will one day be buried in the ground and it'll be raised in a way that we have no more of it. Raised in a way where all of that is blown away. The corruption and aging process will be reset by God's power. We will run and not grow weary. We will not only be able not to sin, but we will be so enraptured by the goodness of God, the grace of Jesus, that we won't even want to anymore. Ourselves will be changed all the way down to the level of our desires, which leads Paul to make this comparison that he finishes with, the comparison of Adam and Jesus, the comparison of the inheritance that we have as children of Adam as compared to the inheritance we have of children of God. Adam was a life-giving being. And as a life-giving being, that means that he could pass on life through the sort of natural means of reproduction with Eve. And so all of us are children of Adam. But the inheritance of Adam, what is given to us is a story 
of dust and decay. It is the sin nature that he has passed on to us. Yes, he passes on to us the image of God, but also the horrors of sin, the pain that we cause others, the pain that has been caused to us. In a way, Adam is the man of Lent. The season of Lent where we remember that we are dust and to dust we shall return. For those of us who are here who are Christians, that's not the whole story. Lent comes to an end this morning. The story of dust comes to an end this morning. For those of us who are Christian, Lent ends as Easter dawns. If we place our trust in Christ, we are given the gift of Easter, the gift of the end of Lent. We are promised that these mortal bodies, scarred and twisted by sin, will be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ himself. He gives us life, and not just life, but it says he becomes a life-giving spirit. Paul is talking here about the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has empowered and given us the Holy Spirit as the down payment of the life that is to come. Through his reunion with the Trinity, Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to bring the future back into the present. At the resurrection of Jesus, all of the promises of the future, all of the promises of the world that will be, all of the promises of heaven and the new earth, all of that has come crashing into the here and now. When Jesus burst forth out of a tomb, the promise of what to come is to come shows up in the world that we live in. The new world has gained a foothold in the old one. And so the dishonor that comes along with being a child of Adam is reversed. Not only is new life possible, new life is really given to all of those who believe. A new life where we get to practice that resurrection here and now where we get to live out the ethics of the kingdom of Jesus. We get to live out the beauties of the kingdom of Jesus that is to come. We get to live it out here and now. One of my favorite artists is a French uh, artist named Georges Rouault. And Georges Rouault uh, was a young man. He grew up very poor uh, during World War I in Paris. And as he became an artist, uh, he began to paint as a way to reflect what it was like and what he thought about the things that were happening as he lived through the occupation of Paris. And he wrote, uh, wrote he painted uh, a series of woodcut paintings. So the sort of things where he would etch into the wood and then he would kind of paint onto that etching and then stamp it onto a canvas. And he did a series of these. There's almost 70 of them. And it's called the Miserere, which means Lord have mercy. Have mercy on me. And as you thumb through the pages of these prints, one of the ones that strikes you is this picture of, of this man who is, who is dressed like something between a king and a, and a clown. He's wearing a robe, he's wearing a crown, and yet his face is painted in the sort of traditional French mime painting. And the caption underneath of that one says, we think ourselves kings. And then as you turn the page of the Miserere, you see a picture of what appears to be the same man, except his makeup is off and he is looking downcast. And the 
bottom of that page says, and yet we all paint ourselves. Church, part of the beauty of the resurrection is we no longer have to try and paint over the dustiness and decay of our life. We no longer have to try to be something that we are not. We no longer have to prove ourselves to everyone we are around. We no longer have to forge our identity out of our lives. Instead, we get to live in the beauty of the resurrection. Because just a few pages later, Ruo shows us the horrors of the crucifixion. And then he comes to the resurrection where we see this. This painting where the sun is dawning over the tomb and a bird is flying by with the caption, sing matins, a new day is born. Beloved, because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of what he has done, a new day is born for you and for me. A new world is not only possible, but has come crashing down into this reality. The birds this morning that were singing as we woke up were singing the praises of the one who is making all things new. The one who is bringing the resurrection power of the future back into the present now. And he's doing that through the work of the Holy Spirit given to you and given to me. Church, a new day was born 2,000 years ago where Jesus rose from the dead and gives us that new kingdom life, the life of the ages. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's empowered us to love our neighbor, to fight our corrupt desires, to call out injustice and to care for those who are on the margins. And this life comes with a new song. The reason I love this, this piece of art so much is the bird. Because those of us who have grown up in Florida, it looks an awful lot like a gull who are always singing. They're always singing and squawking about something. Beloved, the savior of the universe was dead and buried and three days later rose from the dead to bring life to you and to me. We can sing like the birds at morning, the song of, of the morning because dust is ended and these bones have been raised up and given new life. One day they'll be given new flesh. The world that is to come has broken into this world and it should fill us with songs of joy and songs of peace towards others. The hope that things will not always be this way has dawned in reality and it dawns in our hearts through the real resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The future has broken into the present. Let us celebrate the resurrection. Let us celebrate new life. Let us pray.